very small percentage of women who are in the C-suite who are in the Fortune 500s. Um, beyond that, um, you know, there's still a wage gap. All right, that does exist, but how you react to that and how you say, this is what I'm not going to stand for, or this is what I will stand for, um, that's how you can move around to get to what you really do need to do. Because there are companies that don't value things based on gender, race, yeah. um, anything like that. So that's where... All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the How to Get a Job podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic. How can women break into senior leaders? If you're a manager, become a director. If you're a director, become a vice president. If you're a vice president, how do you get into the C-suite? Uh, and to do so, we have a special guest. We have an amazing career coach, Anne Genduso. Anne, welcome. How are you? How are you feeling? Hi, thank you so much, Daniel. I'm excited. I, I'm doing I am, well. I'm super excited uh, to have this conversation because selfishly, I'm taking notes for my wife. I'm like, all right. So, like, I'm over here. Like, my <laughs> wife's in the other room. She works. My wife, um, she, she's a relationship manager. She's like a VP relationship manager for BNY. And, um, and so I'm in here, like, putting, like, if Jessica was having coffee with Ann at Starbucks, what would she want to know? That way, therefore... Other women who are, have aspirations to go into the higher levels of leadership in their organizations can also learn. And the idea is that if you guys are so interested and want to learn more, they can then connect with you and then work with you. So um, today I have my mindset of what would Jess would ask. And I'm going into this pocket like this. <laughs> you, may have to, you may have to bring her in and have her ask if the question. she wasn't feeling sick and... And she wasn't Aww. feeling sick. She, she's a workaholic, so she didn't even take a sick day. She's out there in her computer with like, uh, like she'll probably kill me if she hears this episode with like tissues in her nose. Um, she's feeling really, really sick. Thing. If she wasn't, I would be like, yes, do you have time? Um, yeah. But she's, she's she's so busy. But I think she would have made time if she wasn't in like in a client meeting. So no, I, I, I'm super excited because I think that's why we do this podcast. Like I, I, for me, this is why I love interviewing individuals like yourself that have such an amazing background and experience at a, an, an, in a topic because I can't give my wife the same advice that you would, right? And, and the idea of doing this in a recording, like a podcast setting is that other individuals that are in that same position can learn from it and they can be introduced of saying like, oh wow, there are people there that can help me in my particular situation and then hopefully that can that they can explore uh, a relationship with you and working with you. So, um, so I kind of want to like again. I know that you you were talking about this earlier. You come from uh, a media background, and I was like, we're gonna wing it. We're not gonna have questions. So, uh, but <laughs> I, I you know, one of my mentors is really big into like women empowerment and women breaking the glass ceiling. Um, I wanted to understand what brought you into wanting to not only be a career coach, but specialize in helping uh, women, uh, managers, directors, and vice presidents? Yeah, that's a great question. So my path is a couple, it's, it's an interesting path, but you know, I would say that the thing that really bothered me when I was in kind of the, I'm going to say the corporate world, but I really worked in everything from agencies to nonprofits. 
um, you know, for 16 years, I was doing um, integrated media and communications, uh, celebrity relations, that sort of thing. And what was really frustrating is I saw time and again, these really talented women who are doing so much, working themselves so hard um, with like this dangle of a carrot of a promotion or potential for raises, but not really breaking through that or um, or not sure how to even ask for that uh, because they, you know, were operating under the assumption that, you know, if you work hard, good things will automatically happen. Um, unfortunately, 90% of the time it doesn't, right? Like they'll, you'll, you'll stay where, where you are. So that, you know, and I experienced that myself, you know, I'm not, you know, excluding myself from that, that category. So when I did decide to move over into the coaching world, that's why I felt so passionate about it and still do, right? Like that, that's why, you know, women, and it's not always just about gender, but it just happens to be women face a lot of, um, you know, there just aren't as many women in mm-hmm. leadership positions. Um, mm-hmm. So I would like to change that and and also change the dynamic of what leadership even really means. Um, bring it more from being like a profit first type of mentality to more of that kind of people first yeah. mentality. I, so, I yeah. can like just when you're saying that I can be like, that's my wife, like, like uh, on the, on the T. Cause I, I've shared this before. Like, so I've been, my wife and I have been together for 14 years and um, that's, so we started dating when I was in my freshman year of college or, and she was in high school, but we went to the same high school. So we knew each other since high school. And, uh, but she was in high school um, and we went to different universities. I went to university of central Florida. She went to university of Florida. So they're about two hours away. And even though we were together, like I, we like it, it was never about like she went to a different university. So we had like a long term relationship throughout um, five years of for for five years for actually for four years, and she went to college. And my wife is like we're very different. So like my wife is that AP student, four GPA, right? Like really took uh, yeah. seriously. Really? I was okay student. Like I wasn't like I wasn't getting Fs and Ds. But my GPA was like a 2.9. I went to community college first. Um, I had just had this, like the, the networking, the more like, you know, I would say like the soft skills. Um, and so even, so when I graduated college, uh, I, you know, again, same thing, graduated 2.9 GPA, but I had like six job offers. I was really good at networking. I was good at building relationships. That led to me being really good at interviewing. And so I had multiple job offers from like Fortune 500 companies. So my wife was like, if you had those offers, then imagine what I will have. I went to a better school. I, I studied finance, which is a more technical major. And um, I had a better GPA. She was also involved in student organizations. She also did internships. So on resume, on paper, she's a better hire, right? Um, but she liked that visibility that I had because I made that visibility. And so her first job out of college, she was making... Uh, half than what I was making. And it wasn't even something like that she felt fulfilled. She was like a, a management training program for Abercrombie, which I think paid her like $28,000 a year, like coming out of college. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and she started finance. Which I'm sure is less, less than the semester oh, yeah. tuition. I'm sure. She had scholarships, <laughs> right? Like she was like super smart. Right. So yeah, like, but- um, why I say this long story short, she eventually got into the bank that she's working at. She works at the bank of BNY. 
because of a friend of mine who was at the bank. And so I made that connection. Again, my, my, my networking led to a referral that then led to her getting the job. And then she got into finance, which is what she studied. She's now been there for over six years. And again, the first couple of years, um, a different department that she wanted to go into, I knew that person because I was just a connector and I was because of that visibility. But it's not because my wife needed my help. She's way more talented. She's smarter. Like, I think for me, I would love to hire her, right? And then she then, like, in the last couple of years, I was in the last three years, the first three years of her in the bank, she was very, it was, I feel like it was very slow for her to get started. And then we had a lot of conversations. In fact, she doesn't, it's like anything else. She doesn't listen to me, right? So it was because of other mentors, you know, that she's gotten that were also do very similar things that you're doing that that said, hey, like you need to work on your visibility. Like you thinking that you're gonna put your head down and work really, really hard and you're gonna get noticed, that's not get the case. And so she would get passed by opportunities because she wasn't working on that visibility. She started doing it. Yeah. And now she's being selected for like reverse mentoring programs for all these activities. She's now gotten promoted multiple times because of it. And like and now she's like the youngest person on her team by far because she's got an opportunity that like they, they see that that you can grow into it you know one of those things and like and now it's really awesome and, I, and i'm really proud of her because she continues to have this amazing work ethic and super talented uh but now she's also working on that visibility standpoint and now people in the company know who they are and she's been, you can tell that the company now sees her like a high potential so i say that because like I see that happening so often, not only to my wife, but so many other women in my life. And that's why I want to bring awareness to this. And I wanted you to kind of share more about uh, what are some ways that like, how can I, a woman like listening to this can identify that she's not doing enough to, to get herself noticed or, or, or that she can, that she has those limiting beliefs herself. Yeah. Well, first, you brought up a really great point about how your wife, in, in her particular instance, she um, she made some mm -hmm. internal changes, right? And then therefore saw some results. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. So when I say that, I mean, sometimes you can do all the right things. Mm -hmm. You can get, you know, advocates, you can, you can build on that networking and sometimes it still stays. And so what I like to do, so I work with women across the spectrum of where they are at in their career. So some um, of my clients are, you know, on a scale of one to 10, um, uh, one being they want to stay put, 10 being they're out of there. Yeah. Sometimes they're on the higher end where they're like, I've already done it. But other times, and this is really important because I think a lot of people just think I need to leave my job. Other times, like your wife, it might be, actually, I need to make some tweaks. I need to maybe approach this in a different way. And maybe then I'll get what I'm looking for next. Um, but so for your other question there about like how women can identify with this, you know, I think it's, it's the feeling of frustration, right? Like if you're starting to feel frustrated, you're like, I don't understand. I'm a really good subject matter expert. I'm great at what I do. But maybe, yeah, maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you just haven't been taught the way to like connect with other folks. Because I, I think these are all teachable and learnable skills. Um, you know, that's how you can start moving that needle a little bit more um, and branching outside of your own little sphere. Because yeah. we all have our own our little spheres. It doesn't matter if you work yeah. in a company with, 
Yeah. Yes, it's your comfort level. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's your comfort bubble. Um, because uh, it doesn't matter if you work for a company that has 30,000 people, 300,000 people, or 30 people. Um, oftentimes, you stay within you know, the people you work with on the day-to-day, -day, and that's it. Um, and really, that's one of the things that really is important to try to build advocates. And you, you said it in the word of visibility, but building advocates outside of yep. your direct boss. I think that is the number one way to start getting um, move, moving up that ladder if that is your goal or in order to learn new skills. So sometimes one, a really important thing is to not think about, you know, I think we have a thought process of this is how my career progression needs mm -hmm. to look and it needs to always yeah. go like that. It needs to be a ladder and like constant, but there's other things to career success that aren't necessarily always increased salary or always increased title. And that can be acquiring new skills, learning new things, um, you know, getting to take on new challenges. Now you need to be appropriately compensated for that. <laughs> but thinking of that as part of your career path and not just being a, a line, because I, I don't think career paths, very, very rarely are they just a line. Yeah. You know, it's like all over the place. Sometimes there's zigzags, they're, they're loops because you may transfer into a new industry and kind of start over again. Um, but you don't never, you never really, yeah, start yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and they're, it's like, I think building the critical experiences that are needed to get to the long-term goals that you have. Right. I think a lot about that. Um, like at, at PepsiCo, PepsiCo had a very good structural, like leadership development program. And like you, 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 it was very common for you to take lateral moves in terms of like, like number or band, band, like, so like, like level, like letter grades. So like in PepsiCo, there's numbers in my wife's company, there's letter grades. So like, like what we would call like the corporate ladder, right. Um, to be able to take a lateral move to gain the critical experience and then go into that director level that you might want to break into or the VP level that you might want to break into. Um, I did want to like kind of talk a little bit about, you were talking about mentors and advocates. Um, I think, you know, to, I, I break those things into three buckets. I think that there's coaches, there's mentors, and then there's sponsors or advocates, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I mean, yeah. It, it doesn't yeah. matter how we, 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 there's different words for all of them. And I think that um, it's really important to try to have all three because they all serve different roles. So I, I want to kind of like break that down for the listeners because this is a female or male, uh, it doesn't matter, right? I think whether, and this, this can work for your career, but as well, it can work to any goal. So, and, um, I, and I think here's why you should have all three and the importance for all three. Uh, one, you have a mentors. Mentors are people who have done the goal that you want to achieve. So a good career mentor could be uh, your boss, someone who has the job that you want and can help um, walk you through and understand what's the journey that you need to embark on and what soft and technical skills are required to get to, to that level. An advocate or a sponsor is someone who is speaking, who's speaking about you when you're not in the room. So when there's people planning, when there's like you know higher level meetings, that they're saying, "Oh, you know Jessica that works in that she, I, I you know I've communicated back and forth. I work on a couple of issues and projects with her, and she's just fantastic. And that's someone that can unbiasedly, positively impact your career because." If your boss were to say that, they're like, oh, that's you work with her. You obviously have like uh, a biased opinion about her. But when a, a third party advocate or sponsor is speaking on your behalf, 
just speaks it's a multiples it just speaks like it's an unbiased review right it's like when you get a, a review of you should go to that restaurant from 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 someone that doesn't work there or a family member doesn't own it it's like okay let me check it out versus like the owner's kid telling you to go check out the restaurant and i don't know uh, and then the third one is a coach and a coach is actually someone that it's not the same as your mentor because a coach it's more it will help you with the strategy will more uh, have a game plan and it's more tactical and hold you accountable. A lot of times your mentors won't won't hold you accountable. And I think the reason why I think it's worth fame for a coach, and I think if you're a female, I think you should look into working with Anne, right? It's because when you pay for something, you have skin in the game, the level of execution dramatically increases. And so when you can combine that having the coaches support you, hold you accountable, build that strategy with you and help you have actionable things that you need to do, with the combination of the knowledge of the mentor that has accomplished the goal that you have and have advocates and sponsors who are speaking on your behalf when you're not in the room, to me, that's like the recipe to having a really, really successful career. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, and I've had all three throughout my career. I still do. I, I still have a coach. I think everybody should have a coach um, in some area of their life. Um, and the, the one thing I'll add about coaching too, that's a little bit different than the mentor or the advocate is that they can help you pull out answers you already yeah. have within you, right? So they're not going to tell you what to do. The mentor may tell you what to do, say like, oh, this is what this is what you need to do. A coach may show you some options or that you might have some blinders that you didn't yeah. even think about as an option or work on things where, you know, 90% of what is holding a lot of those women back sometimes is their own self-confidence, their confidence that they can, can do this. Or again, yeah. belief systems of where I have to do this this way. And this is how I get this instead of thinking that there might be some alternatives or that it's not always like, if you hear the shoulds, I should do this, the always, the never, those are those things that are actually limiting yeah. your potential. No, and, and also too, like, you might not feel comfortable going to your mentor who works in the same organization and being really genuinely open about your feelings, especially if the decision is, should I stay here or should I go? But a coach who has been doing this for some time and has a broader view of the marketplace can be like, hey, Ann, like, I know that you want to leave, but don't judge the company because you have a bad manager, right? You should. So it's not yes. about leaving the company. Yes. It's about like moving you to a different manager, a different department. Because the company is actually really good and you're going to like, you might regret it. Or at the flip flop is a coach can be like, I know you love where you're working, but trust me, I seen the, I seen what's, what's like in the other side. I have clients in different companies. You're being dramatically underpaid. You're being dramatically undervalued. We should look at somewhere else. And I think that having a coach that can have a bird's eye view of your situation because they've seen other people because they're working with other clients in similar industries or other industries will give you more better information that you can then now as an individual make better decisions because of it. Yeah. And uh, you bring up such a great point there because, you know, you, there's an old adage that you don't leave your mm -hmm. company, you leave your boss. That may be true sometimes, but I actually think that, yeah, there's three different things you might leave. You might leave mm -hmm. your boss. The, the manager that um, might be problematic, um, have a problematic relationship with. Um, you may leave your role, meaning you don't like the work you do, isn't feeling fulfilling. You don't see, you don't get meaning or purpose from it. 
Um, or you may leave the actual, um, the company itself and because there's a misalignment with values um, or growth potential or anything else, right? So I try to work with people and try to identify what is it? Like, where are you feeling misaligned? Because you may think it's just one place, but you really need to look holistically to figure out then what can you do about it. Let's let's bring this back. I want to kind of go back and talk about more about like, you know, the women's point of view and perspective and the, the unique challenges that they face uh, when they're trying to to grow in their career. Uh, what would you be like, what, like, you know, like if, if a woman's listening to this and they're not sure if they may be stuck, they're not sure if it's the manager, they're not sure if it's the company, where should they start or how should they start thinking about their career? Yeah, if you're not sure, but you're, yeah. feel, you're feeling stuck, right? You're I'm feeling stuck satisfied. in some way, like, shape well, or form. They're not satisfied, right? Right. Yeah. I always like to do a look at audit in the beginning. Right. Um, so one of the principles that I work with is um, off of it's called uh, self-determination self theory. And it's kind of a meta-analysis about mm -hmm. motivation. And within that, it says that there are three main psychological needs for someone to feel fulfilled. And this doesn't have to just be about career. It could be through life. Right. Um, and that is related to competence. And in career, when you think about that, you have the capability and all the tools you need to do your job. Autonomy, you feel like you have control over your work mm -hmm. products, your career path, your goals. You, you feel like you are in control of the situation. Um, and then relatedness, which is feeling a connection. And that can be anything from a connection to your colleagues, a connection to the work you do. You understand how it plays a role in the greater company and in the greater community and in the world. So we look at those three areas. And so if you start thinking about those three and go, hmm, where, where am I feeling like I'm out of whack? Like, is it that I don't, I'm not meshing with my my colleagues is it that I don't feel that that's where you can start to understand. And so you get that snapshot and see, okay, so which one is it? And then you can start to work on that. I know that it's a little bit headier and it's not quite as like career, like focused, like about money or something like that, but that's really when you start pulling it back. Cause it's not always. What do you money. think? So going back to a question like this, uh, I'm like, I'm just my, I said my wife, I don't, I'm not happy at my job. I think it's my manager, but I'm not sure. What should be the first approach? What should I, how should I be looking at this problem? Because I think that it's because of my manager that I'm not happy and it's because of my manager, I'm not getting opportunities because of my manager that I feel stuck, right? Okay, okay. Well, what's interesting there is that there's like a, an external blame, right? And, and it may be there are external circumstances we all can't control like, what's happening around us, but we can control yeah. how we respond to that. So if you start yeah. thinking that, yeah, I think it's my manager, first of all, you want to take a some take stock and say, okay, what are, what are some, what's some evidence that's pointing that it is, it's my manager for sure. Right. And then what's evidence against that, that it could be something else. What else could it be? <laughs> and start thinking through that. And it's really hard to do that on your own. And that's where getting somebody else and even just like a friend or a colleague to yeah. bounce off of that might be um, a good place to start because then you can kind of poke through that belief to find out if it is a fact 
or if evidence is more leaning towards that or not. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think it's that it's like sometimes, you know, it's that internal versus external locus of control. It's like, um, if, if, if everything that happens to you, you take the, like you take the credit, but everything bad that happens to you, 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 you say it's because I'm unlucky, then you, you really need to look in the mirror to identify what, what is that? Like, why is that the case? Right. But, um, what do you think is like holding women back from getting higher and higher within their career goals? Like what, what, what do you think is stopping them and what can they start doing to start changing that? I think this goes back to kind of like everything we've been talking about. I think what's stopping them many times is themselves. <laughs> and that comes to again, some false beliefs, some, or some myths, things that we've maybe been taught, um, or maybe generational past things that worked for past generations that don't work now. So for example, you know, many of our parents or our grandparents had worked in a company and they may have worked in that company for 60 years. And that was the only company they ever worked for. And so there was a clear thing of like, you, you stay, you keep your head down you do your pay your dues. We heard that a lot. And like within a certain time, you'll get promoted. But that's not really how it works now. Um, and most people don't stay in a position for that long. So that's just one example of how like some of these additional beliefs and older kind of systems can help you stay in a, in a sense of like, I have to do this to get there. So that's where we talk about that. Um, I think the other thing, um, you know, we talked about the autonomy part earlier about are you in control? The truth of the matter is we're all in control. It's whether or not we as women or, or, you know, as men, anything, right, want to make that move because nobody's telling you, you have to stay here. You have to work within this environment. So I'm a big fan of working with people to help uncover their strengths and what they do best naturally. Like for you, you were saying you're really like a networker, you're, you're a relationship builder. It comes mm-hmm. so naturally to you. So like leaning into that and finding the, the environment, whether that's the company, the boss, that is going, or the role itself, that is going to play to those strengths um, so that you're not always just kind of trying to improve weaknesses. Yeah. No, no, that, that makes sense. And yeah. like, um, I guess my follow up question is like, do you think, you know, that there are outsized forces that are like stopping women to want to, to, to break the glass ceiling in a sense? Like, I hear all, you hear this a lot. And I think it, was, it, it happened to be more about 10 years ago when I was graduating college, like 12 years ago. Now that I think about it more, <laughs> it's like, I remember, so I share this because when I was, when I had graduated college in 2012 and I started working at PepsiCo, um, we had, our CEO at PepsiCo was Indra Nudi and she was uh, one of the only, at that that time, only 3% of women in Fortune 500 were CEOs. And she made a really big push of increasing diversity uh, in management roles. And one of the things that she implemented while I was at PepsiCo was that she wanted 50% of managers and above to be females. So you saw a big like pendulum swing of a very male dominated industry uh, that is consumer packaged goods because it's not a sexy industry. It's not like, unless you're going and working for like a makeup or beauty uh, 
consumer packaged good company. Uh, PepsiCo wasn't attracting a lot of women. So you did see a pendulum swim of, I would, I would like interview for a role. And even though I might have more better qualifications, I will, uh, a, a peer who was a female will get the job over me because you just knew that they were just trying to meet the quota of, of understanding, like we need 50% of women to be managers. And I think that happened for a long time, not just in PepsiCo. And I think in the last couple of years, I think I haven't heard that being part of the conversation as much. And I don't know if that conversation is over or I'm just not hearing it. No. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. I get, I see where you're going. Now. I, I, I've been dancing around, um, but no, listen, listen, yeah. there are external factors. But positive and negative, right? Like I can also see that there's companies that can negative, like that can make it harder for women while there's other companies who can make it easier. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I yeah, right. I only have a perspective of one yeah, company no, that absolutely. I worked with for six years. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and really truly depends. Right. Not everybody works yeah. for these mega companies either. They work for small, smaller boutique firms, things like that. And so it really can be dependent on that. So yeah, from the external factors, listen, we're yeah. not it's not over. We you know, there is a very long way to go. Um, I'm you know, love what happened at Pepsi. Um, you know, that that's amazing. But I, mean, I don't know the exact number now, but it's still a very small percentage of women who are in the C-suite who are in the Fortune 500s. Um, beyond that, um, you know, there's still a wage gap. I mean, they come out with that every single year. It really hasn't changed much at all yeah. in the last decade. So, you know, there are things that are just, it's there. You do have challenges. That's why I say, but people kind of feel helpless sometimes about that. And that's why I say, all right, that does exist, but how you react to that and how you say, this is what I'm not going to stand for, or this is what I will stand for. Um, that's how you can move around to get to what you really do need to go. Cause there are companies that don't value things yeah. based on gender, race, um, anything like that. So that's where, um, yeah, the societally, yeah. No, no, and I, I just Google it while you were speaking. Back when that happened, I remember India was it was three percent, and now is at ten point four percent. So it's nowhere near fifty. Like, yeah, it's nowhere. Yeah, it it's, it's going up, right? Yeah. It is. It, it is. Was I subscribed to Morning Bruce? So I get an email, and I I saw I, this was like six months ago that for the first time women CEOs, there were more women CEOs than there were CEOs named Joe or Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were making like a, oh, like a joke or yeah. a skit of like saying, well, what if Joe's and Michael's merged? Because those, two, uh, Michael, like, I think it was like the name, or, or, oh, it was like Joseph, yeah. but you know, the Joe and then Michael, and then there's like just two guys like, all right, let's merge. So now those two names uh, had more women CEOs than, um, anyways, I, I say that, go ahead. No, go ahead. no, I was just gonna say, you know, back to your question earlier when you were talking about that, like, listen, here's how you know, right? And, and these women don't even need to ask themselves. They know when they're in a situation like this. Like when I, I'll tell you how uncomfortable it is. Now I'm a short person. Yeah. I'm like five feet tall, very short. But when I, you know, I have a kind of a big personality if you haven't noticed. Um, but when I was in a room, I feel like a child, right? I'm like with all yeah. these men, 
all I can smell is cologne. It's like testosterone in the air. I'm the only woman. I'm wearing bright colors because I like bright colors. That's me, although not today, but I'm, you know, that's me. And I felt incredibly out of place. You know, you have a boardroom, men, 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 you, and you're the only person and you feel very, it's so easy to feel singled out. And that's not just women. That happens mm -hmm. to any kind of um, person that might be not in the majority. <laughs> so, but, but that's a very easy way to feel like I don't belong here or like they don't value what I'm doing, especially if you then see your male counterparts who are making more money for you than you, who are then getting surpassed, you know, you're getting passed over for mm -hmm. promotions. So that's why when you, you had your question earlier, I'm like, well, they probably already know if they're if they're in this situation because they yeah, but like I think today. hearing it from you in the podcast right now, like I think it's like saying okay, like it might this feeling is like that I, that I know like it's gut feeling that I know that it's like in an, I'm in a, in, a, in this situation now. It's like saying okay, others feel the same way, so like I, I get that now. But like the reason why I brought it up is because well, I'm gonna actually share an example or like a, a personal story. Then to kind of put my point, um, I I came to the United States with two suitcases and two thousand dollars, and I say I don't remember going back and saying like it's just me and my mom. My dad died when I was very young, right? Um, I don't remember that I could, that I can go back and say I had like a very traumatic, really bad childhood. But when I compare it to the people that I now hang around with, like I had a really difficult childhood. But in comparison, when I was growing up, I didn't know better. I just knew that's how I grew up, right? And that ultimately led to me having a lot of grit. And because I know what was like uh, growing up with no money and no resources and not knowing, like having any, like all of our money went to paying rent and, and, and food. Like um, that gives me this level of like work ethic and that challenge or that, that those difficulties have now become my biggest competitive advantage, right? Because it's really hard to outwork someone that has that level of, of motivation that's driven by, by, by the past in a sense. And so I talk a lot about this with my wife because my wife has grew, grew up, again, very opposite side where her, her, her dad's a doctor, her mom has a master's. Like it wasn't whether she's gonna go to college, the question has been which college you went to, right? Um, and right. she was martyred. She, you know, had the resources if she needed tutors, she can get tutors. I didn't have an option like that, right? So like. But for her, she didn't necessarily, even though she's driven and a very more motivated individual, she didn't have this like extra, extra, extra drive that you get from going through those challenges. And so my, I would say disadvantage of coming from a, being raised by a single mother, that statistically speaking, I'm four times more likely to have gone to jail than to graduate college, right? We're talking about statistics. That has, now that I've overcome that, has now given me this competitive advantage. And so the reason why I'm bringing this, and I'll put this back together into the topic of today of women in leadership, right? Is because, you know, statistically speaking, a female being a CEO of a Fortune 500 company is less than 10%, as I just like Google, and it used to be three. And even though it's getting better, it is more challenging. And I, and so this is what I'm saying. It's like, I, this is my, my thoughts on it. And I, and I would love for your opinion. If I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong. Like we can definitely, I disagree respectfully, like it's it's amazing about, I, I'm good with it, right? 
if you are listening to this and you're a female and you're a manager and you want to go into a director or vice president or CEO level, you've already made it to the hard part. You've already broken to the management side of it. Now, that that hard challenging part that you've dealt with in the beginning of your career to get to the point now can now be your competitive advantage because there are tons of companies who want and will push you forward to be a leader at C-level, et cetera, in the organization. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to still get there, but I am saying now that you have the opportunity to be there, there's tons of resources, there's tons of people, there's tons of advocates who want to see that number go from 10% to 50%. And so that, that that's my theory, that's my thoughts, and I was just kind of like relating my story to this situation. I see that. No, I totally see that, and especially... Well, it comes back full circle a little bit, right? Like, so we were talking about motivation and how, how you approached the situation though. So how you approached it, yeah, you did the hard part, right? Like you, you used that as yeah. fuel for you. Um, some right. people would just give up or they'd be like, no, I can't want to, I don't want to do that. Right. Or it's too hard or they get stuck in the, the, we were talking about yeah. kind of like that victim mentality is it all happening to me. I have no control, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, if you, that's where, if you can take that and really harness it and think about the control you can have to like, keep moving yourself forward. I think what you just pointed out though, was again, the environment change that sometimes you need that environment change, because if you're in a place that's holding you back or that doesn't value that you are like, if you walk into that boardroom and you see nine other men and you're the only woman that may be indica indicative of how they view diversity in that organization it, um, where, like you said, there's plenty of other organizations that mm -hmm. will value that. Um, and then the other thing that, you know, I, th I see more and more women doing is breaking yeah. off and doing their own thing, you know? So like whether that's freelancing, contracting or starting their own businesses, you know, that's a big opportunity too, where you can be the CEO by literally being the CEO because you say, that's it. I'm, I'm yeah. ready. I'm going to go. Um, and that is a path that more and more are taking, um, even though there are some uh, challenges that have happened very recently too. So I do, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. So within COVID, um, women and particularly mothers, caregivers, um, but even women who are kind of like in that sandwich generation where, you know, we may have kids of our own and then maybe helping older parents too, who, so there might be caregiving on both sides of it. Um, they have been stressed and I'll put myself in that category of not in terms of the parent part, but, um, of caregiving during the pandemic, because you all of a sudden became a teacher, a, um, a mother and yeah. I'm trying to do my job, a business owner at the same time. Um, things have not bounced back the way that we'd like them to, um, a, a big portion of women just yeah. opted out of the workforce altogether. And it wasn't by choice, it was out of necessity. So um, while they have come back or many have come back, some have stayed out. And so there's also a little bit of challenges there, right? Um, on the other side of it is that the caregiving solutions that were already in pretty bad shape in this country didn't bounce back. So there's not as many caregivers out there simply for, from, um, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but that is putting some extra strain. So, you know, you'll see newer pieces of research that have been coming out that showcase that women are still taking the brunt of the home duties 
um, on top of the work duties. So that does add an extra layer of frustration and um, difficulty. But back to what you were saying before, you can take that and, and those challenges and be resilient from them and channel them into, okay, so what do we need to do so that we can make sure this isn't happening yep. for the next generation? No, I love it. I think this is a really good, uh, really good uh, <laughs> spot to kind of like wrap it all up. And uh, this has been amazing. I, I, I've learned just from our conversation as well. And I, I really hope that people listening um, and that want to learn more about you. I know that you um, are a wealth of knowledge and you've been uh, featured in the New York Times, Huffington Post, Business Insider, and so on. So if, if a listener wants to learn more about you and maybe even learn about how to work with you, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Listen, I am a big fan of LinkedIn. Please come find me. I know I have a weird last name, G-E-N-D-U-S-O, but come find me and I'd love to connect with you. And Perfect. I will there. definitely put your LinkedIn on the show notes. So if you're like, I don't know how to spell it, um, <laughs> the show notes. like right underneath <laughs> this, uh, be in the show notes. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us today. For all of you listening, thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, and share it with a friend, someone that you think this episode could resonate with and could support. Uh, maybe you know um, a manager, a female that is looking to maybe feeling stuck in her career, but wants to get to the next level. Uh, have her listen to this episode and connect with Dan. Thank you all so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.